So every time you used to go to the supermarket, let's say, <coughs> you would uh, you would get these uh, plastic bags, what they call single-use plastic bags, very thin and light, but uh, uh, good to be reused in a variety of ways. Um, I know at one point I was using them to clean the cat boxes, but sometimes they have little holes in the bottom. Because, you know, some bags, like, people can get suffocated, so they put little holes in it, but I'm not sure if those had those. Um, but other things as well, you can you can use them to carry things around or store things, what have you. And we'd accumulated quite a lot of these. Uh, we, we were sort of saving them uh, in, in years past, uh, sort of at a faster rate than actually using them. So um, when we caught wind of the new law that was coming into effect a couple years ago, it was funny. I forgot what year it was. Was it like 20... 21 or something uh, whatever the year was uh, that uh, New Jersey was saying they're gonna they make a ban the use of those single use pla- single use plastic bags uh, especially at larger stores like supermarkets so that supermarkets will no longer be able to give you free uh, single use plastic bags this is sort of to help the environment for se- you know to say um, so I uh, decided to sort of make sure that we sort of stockpiled these plastic bags because we weren't going to be getting any more because the supermarkets are not going to have them. Of course, when you go to a place like Pennsylvania, in fact, one of the comedians that went to that comedy show uh, a week or two back mentioned this, that, like, like it's amazing now. You go to Pennsylvania and you go to a supermarket and you can get get single-use plastic bags still. It's amazing. Um, I do remember, of course, people sort of uh, anticipating what a terrible inconvenience this will be, what will happen. And, you know, as it turns out, it's really not that, that big of a deal. I usually try to, you know, keep a couple of those reusable bags in the car. A lot of times I'll forget. I have to go back to the car and get, get the bags, whatever. Um, but, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. I don't think anyone has really found it to be that big of a deal. I mean, <coughs> a, I think since the pandemic, I've, I know we've been doing more shopping online. Is this us? Is this a package delivery? No, it's not me. Um, it's a package delivery. While I'm talking about ordering things online, see? Um, yeah, so we do sometimes, you know, we do order groceries more for delivery like we did during the pandemic. We've kind of gotten into that habit. Um, so that, of course, brings up the other issue, which is that um, – the way the law was worded for those kind of deliveries, they have to use uh, reusable plastic bags, right? Which uh, these are plastic bags, but they're of a heavier, thicker uh, form, and 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 they can be reused. and And I have reused them, but if you do order from online, you wind up accumulating like dozens, if not hundreds, of these bags. Each each of them, the amount of plastic in them has to be a number of times more than a regular single use bag, and I think last year there's a lot of stories about how, in aggregate, this law is actually causing more plastic to be thrown out and going to landfills into the ocean than previously because of this issue, right? Where I think they even implied that uh, other states banned plastic bags, but they still allowed paper bags. But New Jersey banned paper bags as well. So when you're ordering things online, they have to use these thick plastic bags, um, right, which people do eventually wind up throwing away or stockpiling, and it's causing more environmental damage. That's a, that's a secondary thing. Obviously, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and as they say, and, you know, 
this New Jersey law aimed at at uh, saving the environment is actually destroying it even more. What else is new? That always seems to happen. Um, but you know, we had these uh, original plastic bags that I thought would be quite rare and valuable. You know, now that you know that now they've been banned. The only thing is that uh, we really haven't been using them. We haven't really had much use for these bags. And you, you do get them occasionally, like when you do order out from smaller places, they'll give you a plastic bag. So I do save those. So I had these two big cardboard boxes just jammed full, like literally hundreds and hundreds of these uh, single-use plastic bags from all different supermarkets and stuff. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to kind of like uh, clean up. So yesterday it came to a point like, hey, do we want to keep these or you want to throw them out? And I'm like, well, I worked so hard collecting these, putting these in a box, and you know what? I think we're probably better off just throwing them out. It felt weird. I, I started stuffing them in garbage bags. It was two big garbage bags full of plastic bags. And I know, you know, you can't recycle them. They, they're not recyclable in, in, in the normal sense, so we just had to throw it out. I know it's going to wind up in a landfill, destroying the earth, whatever. But after all that hard work... After all of my anticipation, I just we haven't been using them at all. Like they're just sitting, and you know I've been sort of um, haunted by the very visceral example of my parents' house. You know, my my father passed away earlier this year. My mother passed away two years ago. So all the stuff in their house uh, that they just left behind, and how you know stuff can just your stuff is still there even though you're gone. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I think probably get rid of those bags because they're going to be one of those things that's there at the end you know very kind of morbid to think about things that way but uh, <coughs> yeah apparently the uh, the estate sale people are uh, um you know they're they're working hard at the house and uh it's i think the estate sale is going to be next week or the week after yeah so um but it's interesting like they're finding stuff and like my mother had a lot of dolls so I think they're finding, like, a doll collector or a doll dealer to buy all the dolls, you know. It's kind of good. I, I'm glad they're doing that. They're finding, like, some of the glassware and some of the figurines. They found a specific dealers that will come and buy it before the general sale, you know, the estate sale. Mm. Drinking some ginger beer here. Hey, I bought this ginger beer, Reed's Strongest Ginger Beer, a while ago. It's just not that strong. I don't know. It's kind of all right, but kind of not. It's not great. I don't know. What do you want from ginger beer? <coughs> it's stronger, damn it. It's, there's no alcohol in it, though. It's not like an alcohol beer. It's a. It's just. It's just like a so. It's like ginger ale, but stronger. Ginger ale is also an. It's it's ale and beer. No, it's just like a, a sugary drink with some ginger in it. I think there's real ginger in this one. I, with actual ginger ale, right, if you just buy like a, a ginger, a can of ginger ale somewhere, does it really, do they put really, do they actually put gin, ginger in there? I, I would hope so. I'm not sure though. It could just be an artificial flavor. This one's saying it does contain it. Does it, they have the ingredients here? This one contains sparkling filtered water, cane sugar, pressed organic ginger root, pineapple and juice from concentrate honey lemon and lime uh oh see that's not vegan but I don't know there was a honey in here I will I mean I will make an exception for honey I'm not going to seek it out 
I prefer not to have it, but I'm not going to freak out if I have It's like the edge of, of veganism is honey. It is in kind of an, an insect. It's, it's sort of dairy from insects, you know. It's not vegan. Ah, what do you want? So, yeah, I got rid of the bags. The bags are gone. All those old bags. I think it's okay, though. Sometimes you got to throw stuff out. You know what I'm saying. Anyway. Yeah, yesterday uh, I took my wife to the doctor, doctor, and she's uh, doing much better. You may, as you may know, about a month and a half ago, she broke her shoulder. She fell in, in the kitchen and broke her shoulder and uh, had surgery and everything. And it looks like it's healing pretty well. So, um, you know, she doesn't have to wear the sling anymore, and she's going to start physical therapy and stuff. So, <coughs> Also yesterday was our 26th wedding anniversary. As you may remember, I mentioned, uh, well, my wife reminded me about it. Uh, I didn't mention it until she uh, reminded me. Yeah, it was our 26th wedding anniversary, and uh, but you know, I couldn't really go out because of you know. This, I mean, I guess we could have gone out, but I mean, it already was kind of a tiring day, and she's still recovering. So we figured we should do something. Some we should do something for our anniversary, and I'm like, how about if we watch a movie together? Which uh, for some reason we don't do that much anymore, but. We decide, I, decide, I, I thought of this plan we had way back many years ago. And in fact, this, this was a long time ago. Um, it was, uh, I think it was back when the, the Blockbuster was still in town. I'm not sure. When did Blockbuster all shut down? I don't know. But as of the 90s, early 2000s, it was still there. Um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I think it was over across town where we were living in the early, like, for example, early days of the Overnight Escape from, like, it could have even befo- been before the Overnight Escape. We lived there from uh, 97 to about uh, 2006. And, uh, and we went, to, I believe we went to Blockbuster and we rented a, a movie. It may even have been on uh, VHS. I don't know if it was VHS or DVD. But it was a, a movie with Michael Caine. And it was, I forget what movie it was. Well, he's he's done over 130 movies, and he's still alive, and he's still making movies. He's in a movie that just came out this year. It's amazing. I could have sworn. I don't know. Do I remember him dying? I don't know. But anyway, um, we we sort of came up with this plan that we wanted to, to, we wanted to try and see all of the mi- movies that Michael Caine is in. Um, he's been in so many. Uh, but that was our plan. Right, but then we never really watched any more Michael Caine movies. But it was just a plan that we had many years ago. In fact, remember I saw that incredible Michael Caine movie Get Carter uh, a couple of years ago. I was so impressed with Get Carter, such a great movie. Um, anyway, I figured as something special we can do for our, our anniversary, let's uh, watch a Michael Caine movie. We can we can revive our plan, the Michael Caine plan. He can revive it. So, and I do remember reading something about this movie called The Italian Job from 1969, starring Michael Caine. Yeah, I think it was in some article I read, something about Swinging London or that time period, and how that movie was really a uh, uh, very indicative of the time. And I made a mental note that maybe I should see this movie, and I could—I didn't know if I—I I can't remember if I had seen it before. 
But this one, along with Get Carter, so the Italian job and Get Carter, both had remakes made in later times. Uh, I know the uh, Italian job remake was 2005 with uh, Wahlberg. What's his name? <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. I didn't see that one. And then also Get Carter was remade with Sylvester Stallone, I think. But yeah, I don't know. These I don't know if the remakes can really quite quite uh, live up to the originals. But so I'm like, hey, let's watch the Italian Job. We found out it's on Paramount Plus, which we currently do have uh, activated. So we uh, watched the Italian Job with Michael Caine, and very quickly I realized that not I had never seen this movie at all because there's a lot of things about it that are very memorable. Especially the ending, but like all those mafia guys standing around. I have never seen this movie at all. And I thought it was weird. I know that it's, you know, <clears throat> it seems like it's a pretty significant movie. It comes up on all these lists, like one of the best British movies ever made. And uh, it's a f- very strange movie. But I can't believe I hadn't seen it before. One of the big shockers was, like, uh, I'm watching the movie, and then there's a very small part uh, at the beginning. So it's basically Michael Caine's a criminal who's uh, trying to organize this, um, uh, you know, stealing this gold in, in, in Italy. As, as the, so it's a heist movie where he has to put together a team and figure out how to do it. And this is a genre that's had many, many different entries in, in this type of genre where they're planning this heist and they plan it and then what happens and everything else. So in the beginning, he gets out of jail and goes to the tailor. And the tailor, I'm like, oh, my God, it's that guy from the Benny Hill show, right? I looked up his name, Henry McGee. He was one of the uh, the stars of the Benny Hill show. I'm like, I think that's him. I'm like, wow, look at that guy. But then a little bit later in the movie, Benny Hill himself is in the movie. He plays this, like, uh, insane professor guy. It's, like, so weird, Benny Hill. And for those of you who don't know who Benny Hill is, he was uh, he had a, a TV show in Britain, I think, from the fifties through the eighties. Um, I was just wa- I just wa- after this I watched one of an episode from the eighties, I think. It was all like a lot of uh, pantomime, as you know, sort of like uh, scenes where they're just playing music and there's, there's no dialogue, and it's all like sort of dirty humor, sexual innuendos and stuff. But. I think it was in the 80s, 70s and 80s, Benny Hill became, the Benny Hill show became enormously popular here in the United States. They just show it every night. And everyone loved it. And it was sort of had this, uh, they used that song, Yakety Sax, as the uh, theme song. And they, everyone's like, a, there's always like people chasing each other in fast motion. Um, yeah, I was watching <laughs> an episode. It's actually really, it's it's a very good show for what it is. I mean, it's, a very specific type of humor, and it involves a lot of sort of leering at at, at uh, women. You know, the characters leering at women <laughs> certainly wouldn't fly in today's. What would you even call it today? Uh, pure neo puritanical times, or whatever you want to say. I don't know, um, but everyone loved it because it's it, even though it does have some, it it is very funny and innocent in a way, even though it has a dirty subtext to it. You know. And I think they said towards the end, Benny Hill was like around 60 years old. Is that really that old? I mean, I'm not there yet, but I'm not that far from there. They're like, you know, a 60-year-old leering at young women is starting to feel a little bit off. So I think he 
I think he so they sort of ended the show, and then he died soon after that. But anyway, <coughs> um, yeah. But now you don't hear anything about the Benny Hill show. I remember years ago going to the uh, Wax Museum on Forty Second Street, Madame Tussauds, and um, I went with my work. Uh, this is a long ass time ago. <laughs> I don't know what, like two thousand seven or something. I do have pictures from it, so I, I think I could probably find the date. But when you walk in. Uh, not even in a gallery, but just like right by the entrance is a, a, a wax figure of Benny Hill dressed up as like a doorman or something. And everyone, almost universally, like, who's that? I'm like, it's uh, Benny Hill. Do you, they're like, Benny who? <laughs> and this was, this was even a long time ago. So it was closer to the time period where he was on TV like every freaking day in, in the United States. No one I worked with had ever heard of Benny Hill. I was like shocked. I was utterly shocked. But then again, the relevance of the show probably was waning even by the early 80s. By the mid-80s, perhaps, I'm just sort of estimating here, it was a bit less. So I know, yeah, a lot of people weren't around at that time. So, yeah. Um, But it's so weird. But I was shocked that Benny wasn't. Apparently, he wasn't in very many movies, but... One movie they say he was in was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I haven't seen that in a while. I think I tried watching it. It was just annoying me. Remember, I I tried watching Chitty 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 Bang Bang, and (coughs) it just kind of annoyed me. I don't know. Maybe I should give it another shot. Said Dick Van Dyke. (coughs) Take me away to hush a mountain. What? Anyway, maybe I'll give it another chance. I forget what, what role Benny Hill played, but he, he didn't do very many movies, but it was just wild him being in a movie like that. <coughs> so anyway, um, it goes through the whole heist, and it's very car-centric. There's a lot of cars, Mini Coopers, and all sorts of different vehicles in the movie. Um, <coughs> I thought the movie was, was good, uh, but not, perhaps not great. Though... There must be some aspect of it I'm sort of that was more pronounced in previous times in terms of it may be that a movie like that is very influential and has influenced a lot of what we've seen uh since then, but it did feel a bit like uh kind of like the old cannonball run movies or Smoking and the Bandit, kind of a spectacle with lots of vehicles cr- like cars being crashed and being destroyed and rolled down hills and stuff. Um, and it is meant to be kind of like a slapstick comedy, but it's kind of not. It's weird. But the most distinctive thing about this movie is the ending, which I had no idea. And I, I suppose this is a spoiler alert for those of you that haven't seen the movie, but I have to talk about the ending because it's quite... Like, if I had ever seen this movie, I would it would have stuck out in my mind so much. There's no movie that ends this way. A cliffhanger ending, literally hanging off the edge of a cliff. Um, <coughs> and I don't ever remember even hearing about this. This definitely feels like the kind of thing I would have heard about or been aware of at some level. How is it I had... I, I, had I, I Up until yesterday, I hadn't been aware of this. Basically, they do... I mean, spoiler alert, just... Fast forward a, a bit if you're going to want to watch this movie, though I don't know if it's really that necessary to worry about. But 
they they succeed in stealing the gold. They're in a they're in a bus, and uh, going through the mountains in Italy. They, they're actually it actually takes place by uh, T- Turin or Torino, um, uh, quite a bit to the west of where where we were in northern Italy. We were more on the Austria side, over by Bolzano. Torino is on the other, on the Switzerland side of northern Italy. But anyway. They're driving through the mountains, and they sort of screw up, and uh, they wind up hanging off the edge of the cliff. You know, your vehicle is hanging off the edge of a cliff, and then the ba- internal balance. We've seen that so many times. That's That's been used many times. It's kind of a trope in, in, in uh, action movies. So they have all this gold that's kind of weighing the bus down in the back, and they're trying to figure out a way of grabbing some of the gold and bringing it in the other directions to sort of balance it out. But uh, Michael Caine is like, you know, he, he tries to go get some, but then the gold uh, slips further in the other direction. And he's like, all right, I have a great idea. Let's, and then the movie just ends. You don't know what his great idea was. And apparently this is super famous. Everyone talks about it. In fact, there was scientists have been like calculating how could they have done it. There's all these different. There was like a contest to explain how they could have gotten out of it. One of the theories was that they could have turned on the engine to run out the gas, uh, so because the, the gas tank was on the other side to kind of even it out. But then they would have been stranded on this mountain with the authorities and the mafia after them. So what would have happened? But so I was just utterly amazed at that this very significant aspect of this movie uh, in cinema history I had z- zero uh, awareness of now of course when I encounter something like this I wonder oh well was it just that I never heard of it or is there some weird reality shifting thing going on I don't know maybe I just never heard of it <laughs> I don't, don't want to uh, though I do think that um, it could also be <laughs> you know kind of like It's not a pleasant theory, but that the past is uh, is constantly changing. Something we don't think is possible, but it could be. And maybe this... I've heard of the movie The Italian Job over the years. I just never really thought that much about it one way or the other. Um, yeah. I, I'm surprised I wasn't more, more aware of it. Because I think in a way, <coughs> it was like a perfect ending. Right? There is no resolution it's just this. It was this sort of breakneck uh, pace, crazy action, and in the end, you just don't know what happened. Apparently, there were a bunch of different endings, but the producers didn't like any of them. So this cliffhanger was 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 uh, chosen, and they were intending to make a sequel that would have resolved this in some way, but they never did make the sequel. But I think, in a way, it's good. It's a. It, it was so. It was really pretty shocking and pretty surprising when I when I experienced it for the first time without any preconceived notions. <clears throat> so, yeah, it was uh, really, yeah, quite, uh, quite informative and quite surprising. And now we have to continue our Michael Caine Film Festival. One that I've heard of is uh, the, the Ip Cress File. Which again, I don't know anything about it, but I know that it had a uh, a very famous uh, theme song, the Ip, the Ip Crest File. Can we find that? I know I used to have it on a CD or something. 
Ipcrest file theme. <clears throat> Ipcrest file theme. <coughs> hmm. Why am I not finding it? The Ipcrest file. <sighs> Come on. Is this it? I don't know, can I? Is this it? Oh, I, I think it was a band that did a cover of this theme, actually. What band could it have been? Something like uh, Broadcast or... This is right, let me do some more research. Could this be it? Hmm. Maybe like maybe uh Portis head. <coughs> Actually, this does sound a lot like Portis head. Maybe this is what they sampled. <coughs> anyway, I don't I don't know if I'm gonna find what I'm looking for here. But maybe that'll be the next the next uh, movie. But then Alfie also is another movie I <coughs> I started watching Alfie, but then I stopped. These are all Michael Caine movies. Let me see about Porter's head and the Ipcrest files. Hmm. Uh. It looks like there is Portis Head to Kill a Dead Man. It has something. Was this the movie they were talking about in that audio clip? Portis Head made a movie. Hmm. In 1994, we conceived and made To Kill a Dead Man. We realized very quickly afterwards that we had grossly underestimated. Oh, come on. We had grossly underestimated just how tough it is to write, design, act, and perform a short film. So prepare yourselves. Here it is. Oh, this is... Okay, this is... Yes. This is the movie they were talking about in, in that clip, right? And it's so weird because... All right, hold on. Hold on. Weird synchronicities going on here. So it's that audio clip <coughs> from that Glastonbury Festival, right, with uh, Katie Puckrick and this guy Mark Kermode. Let me see if I can find that. But then I just saw Mark Kermode reviews the Ipcris file. God, that's so weird. <coughs> but yeah, here's the... Uh, oh, find this clip. But yeah, it seems that the Ipcrest file is involved. You know what? Let's just... <laughs> let's just move on from this topic, but... Yes. There's a lot of connections there. That may be the next movie. We're gonna watch. Hey, it's later on now. So yesterday, the house cleaners came... <clears throat> and it was like, uh, whenever they come, my cats get very upset. Uh, Mr. Mojo usually recovers much faster. And Vegas, Mr. Vegas has a little bit of a harder time recovering. 
in previous times, they would just run into the basement and hide in the basement while the cleaners were working. They did never clean the basement, but now that they're cleaning the basement, also, <clears throat> what we do is uh, <clears throat> close the door in the morning and have the cleaners do the basement first. Because we thought what happened is like Vegas was stuck inside a couch and they were vacuuming it and stuff. And so we wanted to make sure that they weren't traumatized like that. Even so, uh, last time that happened, Vegas like disappeared. Or no, it was the time before that. Yeah. Vegas like disappeared for like the entire day until the evening time. And then he came out. And now every time this last time it happened, he seemed to recover in just a couple hours. But this time, um, there's a lot of other stuff going on. I know cats really like their routine. So this was the house cleaners, and we went away to a doctor's appointment. And then my mother-in-law came over, and then uh, we redid the beds. So there's all this stuff. And the thing is, Vegas did come out. He came out last night. Uh, you know, towards the evening, and he he was definitely uh, not himself. He definitely seemed very nervous, and um, but he was you know. And then, as I mentioned, we we were we watched um, the movie last night, the Italian Job, and he was even around. We saw him a couple times, but come this morning, he was uh, he didn't show up for breakfast or or treats in the morning or anything. And I haven't seen him all day at all. So it's like 6.40 p.m. now. I have not seen him all day long. So I went and searched everywhere, I, 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 the entire house, anywhere he, he could be hiding. I couldn't. I didn't find any him anywhere. So I'm really getting worried now. I mean, I, I, I know he must have found some hiding spot that I just can't get to. But it's really we're worrying. I don't think he would have had any opportunity to get outside. Um... I'm hoping he's going to show up, but this is the most it's ever been, really. Though he was, he did come out last night, so hopefully, hopefully he'll come out at some point. I, I, I mean, or I can just continue the search. It just seems, um, way you know, like I, 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 even in the couch in the basement, I pushed it away from the wall and used a, my flashlight. I was looking inside of it. I thought I scoured every spot he could be in there, even though I thought I heard something in there earlier. <sighs> anyway, it's uh, a bit upsetting, but I'm hoping he'll come out because this did happen before, and it's the cleaners and it's everything, and he's a very sensitive kitty. Anyway, I'm trying to research what I was uh, looking into before. It's a bit confusing that's why I didn't feel like I could do it um, outside. Here's that audio clip that I referenced that I play a lot on the other side. It's called Mark Kermode and Katie Puck, Mark Kermode and Katie Puckrick, Glastonbury, 1994. That was Galliano a little bit earlier in the festival, complete with Pet Dragon weaving its way through the crowd. Now, the Glastonbury hairdo has to be long matted dreadlocks. 
But Mark here is sporting a different option. This We're talking the molded plastic this is the hair. Practical, the practical it option. It is the practical option. That. Now, Mark, I understood that you weren't coming to the festival this year. What well, gives? Last year I said, why would you go to a festival if you could stay at home and watch a cinema? Well, the point is, this year, Portishead, they made a film, they sent the film to the festival, then they came to the festival to watch the film they made play in the field. And, and no, the, they, field no, came the, to the, the festival the came and then the band the, went to the, the thing. With the, no. I think the band came. So these two are both presenters. Katie Puckrick was, um, you know, a British. Uh, she is still a British uh, television personality. She was on a show called The Word on Channel Four, which I only know about from video clips on YouTube. I never saw it in the first place, and she had her own shows and stuff. And then Mark Kermode, I don't really know who he is. Apparently, he's also a TV presenter type of guy. So I was, uh, you know, looking for this whole Ipcress file thing. As it is a movie, I want to see. Let me see. Let me see if I put put it in Apple Music. The cover version that I found that one time. Uh, yeah, no, no. It was probably yeah, on one of those um, <clears throat> one of those compilation like the. Maybe that uh, Ultra Lounge or something? Yeah. That could have been it, actually. The Ultra Lounge. <clears throat> you know, the Ultra Lounge series of CDs? Ultra Lounge. What the hell is Ipcris? Is that like Watercress? Watercress? I don't know. Anyway, so I, I looked up Ipcris file theme, theme, as you know, earlier, and how I thought it was uh, related to Portishead. <clears throat> and here is now the movie they were referencing in that clip. They made a short film called To Kill a Dead Man. And it says, and it's on YouTube, it's only 10 minutes long. The band Portishead are heavily influenced by the spy films of the 60s and soundtracks of such components as Lalo Schifrin and John Barry. Their trip-hop music conjures up images akin to movies such as The Ipcris File. So I need to watch this. I'm just going to watch it now. This is To Kill a Dead Man. This is this is the Portishead movie. I'll watch it and report to you what how it was. There's a guy... I guess I can describe it to you while I'm watching There's a guy sitting down at a chessboard in a dark room. Now they're outside. Someone's walking out of a building. Are these the members of Portishead? To Kill a Dead Man, from an original idea by Portishead. Hmm. Doing a chess move here. Ooh. Someone walking upstairs. <laughs> what is up with this movie? Portishead, they brought a cinema to play in the theater, in, in, in the festival. And here's another guy walking around. Not a lot going on yet in this movie. It's only 10 minutes long. I mean, they don't really have that much time to develop the plot. <laughs> Just some dude playing chess and some dude walking around. And the guy continues to walk. It looks like it rained earlier. There's some water. And there's a building. And he's walking into the building. Is that a Portishead dude? I only know there's like that woman in Portishead. I don't know any of the other members of Portishead. 
and he's kneeling down and he's taking out some sort of device. What is it? A sniper rifle or something? Wow. Is he gonna kill? Yes, it's like a sniper rifle. Is he gonna kill someone? Putting a bullet in. Why does everything like this has to have to turn violent at some point? All right, he's a sniper. People are getting out of cars. This is what they were watching at the Glastonbury Festival in 94. You see in the scope, he's gonna, is he gonna shoot someone? Here's a woman, a man. Who's he gonna shoot? Oh, he shot the guy. to get the woman into a car. Good music though. Kind of good. Now they're driving away. Oh look, here's that. That's from the cover of the album. She's sitting there in a chair with like an IV drip. She's the singer. I forget her name though. That was from the cover of the album, I think. Someone getting killed. There's smoke in the air. <laughs> What's going on with this movie? Is she having visions of these people these people dying? She's like streak marks on her face, I guess, from crying with makeup on. She pulls a wig off. She looks insane. She's seeing visions of the guy dying. She looks crazy. How much more of this? This It's only been four minutes so far. It feels like a lot longer. <laughs> what did they say at the beginning? They had this uh, disclaimer. <coughs> In 1994, we conceived and made To Kill a Dead Man. Turn me on, dead man. <laughs> what? We realized very quickly afterwards that we had grossly underestimated just how tough it is to write, design, act, and perform a short film. So prepare yourselves. Here it is. Okay. I never saw this, I don't believe. Or if I did, I probably forgot it. It's nearly not very memorable yet. Not like the Italian job. Ooh, there's like a movie projector, the IV drip. What is going on? Are they mind controlling her or something? Her name is Beth something, right? Beth? Beth. There's the chessboard again. Yeah, what was her name? Beth. Hold on a second. What is going on? Okay, let's see. Beth Gibbons. Yes, see, I had this flash that her name was Beth. Beth Gibbons. One of the great apes, or maybe not the the great ape. Maybe a regular ape is a gibbon. Yeah. Yeah. They're still together. Yeah, looks like they took a break from 99 to 2005, another break from 2016 to 2022, but now they're back. Listen, what else are you going to do in life? You're, you're in a popular band. Just go back to the band. Anyway, let's continue on with this. All right, let's see what we got. The chess, the chess game's still going here. Now there's someone else playing chess. 
Mm. Let's see. More chess games. A door. Lab people and men in lab coats are coming in. There's Beth Gibbons. She's in a hospital bed. They're giving her some water to drink. This is going to end. Uh, this should end in a big cliffhanger. Hopefully, just like uh, Italian job. What do you think? Ooh, a TV set. She sees something on the TV set. She recognizes the man on TV. It's a news report. Maybe about the assassination. Now she's asleep. <laughs> Now another guy came in the room. She smiles. He has flowers for her. Is that the guy that got killed? Is she is she hallucinating? She's dreaming. <laughs> Instead of flowers now, he has a gun. He's killing her. Are we at the halfway mark yet? Yes. <laughs> okay. There's flower petals falling on her in reverse time motion. I think this is about on the same level as my my early student films that when I was in film school. Hmm. We only have four more minutes. There's the chessboard again. Oh, there she is. Now she's playing chess. She's moving the queen to mid-board position. Now they're playing cards. <laughs> they're very... Ooh, maybe they're playing Flea Devil Solitaire, no? No, no they're not. He's just shuffling the cards and looking at the cards. She stands up, walks over. <laughs> what is that for this movie? Sits down on a on a couch. The door opens. Here's the assassin, the guy with long hair. Is that one of the members of the band? Uh, he's sitting at the table. No one's talking yet. He reaches in, and gives him something, a picture. A man to kill. Was it the man he killed earlier? Oh, it's to kill a dead man. So he's already dead, but he has to kill him again? Is that the idea? She's walking outside and there's some sort of hot dog vendor. <laughs> now they're back to playing chess. <laughs> what is up with this movie? No, I can't take it. Alright, only three and a half minutes left. I think we can we can survive. She's in a car, standing by a wall outside. She gets in the car. There's some other guy in the back seat. <laughs> There's people in another car. They're surprised to see her. And, uh-oh, he takes off his sunglasses and he's like, oh no, facepalm. <laughs> what does it all mean? 
det gilde dead man. Turn me on, dead man. Paul is a dead man. Miss him, miss him, miss him. Turn me on, dead man. To kill a dead man. Is this it? Now we have the credits. Uh, 1.5 minutes left. Yes, now we have a minute and a half of credits. I really hope that many people didn't work on this because it just. <laughs> this is their big hit. Sour Times. The editor was Tim Thornton Allen. Is there going to be a stinger? I guess we can just fast forward here and see if there's a stinger. Filmed on location in London at the SPS Studios. All characters and events depicted in his motion picture are entirely fictional and incoherent. A Fat Fish Films production. Copyright Go Discs Limited, 1994. Nobody loves me. All right, well, that was really quite disappointing, unfortunately. Here's an interview with Porter's Head. pays attention to music reviews, then you may have checked out Porter's Head after Melody Maker named their debut album, Dummy, the best album of 1994. If not, here's a scoop. Porter's Head was formed when Jeff Barrow met Beth Gibbons at the unemployment office in Bristol, England. They clicked, they decided to name their band Porter's Head after Jeff's hometown, and they recorded their debut. They spent the... Right, here, here, here's the actual band. Okay, so that guy, the assassin, was in the... He's like the main other guy. And, um, I want to go to the... There's a club down the road we should have played it but um we're supposed to be weird or something so eclectic though the, the eclectic sound of porter's head <laughs> <laughs> what is it about this band it's so annoying right, i haven't done i'm done with porter's head at this moment the music the movie the interviews it's all annoying the hell out of me i'm sorry okay i found him i found vegas so I came up with an idea. I was going to go in the basement because Mojo's upstairs. I was going to go in the basement and put some treats on the ground and then close the door. To, and then later I'd go see if he if he ate them. Kitty, come over here. Um, so I went down to do the test and I heard, it, I heard him meow distantly. So now one thing I checked is there's this way up on the wall, there's this uh, opening where the gas meter is. And we always try to put stuff in there like bags and stuff to make sure they don't go in that way because they always try to like get in which is you know it's ex you know I know he wants to explore but it's really dangerous Been meaning to hang a picture up in front of it so they can't get in but we didn't and I checked that multiple times today then there's a um, then there's a panel you can pull out that can give you access from inside the wall I tried that multiple times looked in there with a flashlight everything and he wasn't there so I heard that meow, and I took that panel off, and he was there. He was stuck in the wall. But he wasn't meowing before. Unbelievable. I'm so happy he's back. This is crazy, though, that he was stuck in a, a wall all day. Kitty. Ay, ay, ay. Just very, very, very nerve-wracking. I'm so happy he's back, though. Anyway, so you know I was trying to find the Ipcris file theme song. I think this is it. I finally found it on the John Barry compilation album. 
So we get the idea of that. That's, yeah. uh, and I found out what IPCRES means. It's, it's, it stands for induction of psychoneuroses by conditioned reflex under stress. It's like mind control. Wow. More mind control stuff. Wow. Like, so is this sort of like MKUltra, fictional MKUltra? Brain drain is revealed as brainwashing when Palmer learns that IPCRES is an acronym for what we just said. Yet before Palmer can confirm that scientists are being brainwashed, he is kidnapped and subjected to the IPCRES process. Anyway, so while I was searching for that, I saw Mark Kermode reviews the IPCRES file. Like, wait, I'm like, wait a minute. So on this video, you know, the, the one from 94, he's talking about the movie, right? We don't need to hear that again. But we've been talking about the movie that was inspired by the IFCRIS file by Portishead. And now here he is, seven years ago, whatever year that was, reviewing it. Sidney J. Fury's 1965 film of Len Dayton's spy thriller novel, which featured Michael... Oh, my. Payne look, he's so old now. <laughs> he's much older than he was in 94. We all are, actually. ...of Harry Palmer. Weird connections. Weird, man. Very weird. Um, anyway, um, so I'm like, listen, I got to see this movie. I searched and searched. You know, I must subscribe to like 15 different streaming services. God knows how much money I'm spending on this stuff. I'm probably sending more money. I'm like, oh, I cut the cord. I got rid of cable television. I'm saving so much money. Then you subscribe to 12 of these streaming services. You're paying twice as much. I searched and found nothing. It's not available to view anywhere. I'm like, okay. How about someone threw it on YouTube? No, it was taken down. How about our Internet Archive? They usually have a lot of movies on there. No, nothing. I'm like, where am I going to watch this damn Ipcris file? So I just went to BitTorrent and it was there. Easy, easy peasy. Downloaded in about 30 seconds. I have it now so I can watch it. I'll watch it tonight and I'll continue the show tomorrow and kind of give you a... Uh, a review of it. I gotta watch the movie now. Now, but now it's all spoiled. I know it's about mind control. Anyway, um, yeah. So uh, today's oh today's episode. We should talk about the, today's episode. It's called uh, Pee Wee's Murky Stagecoach. What the hell does this mean, Pee Wee's Murky Stagecoach? I like that title though. So let's take a look at the show art. I was uh, <coughs> really interested because, you know, I did that episode recently about that painting Summer that was displayed in in the art gallery, like the, the Palace of Fine Arts at the uh, Chicago World's Fair in, 19, in 1893. So I'm thinking, like, maybe it would be cool to find some more images like that. So I found this one from the Smithsonian. Again, it's a picture from inside the Palace of Fine Art. I can give you... Uh, excuse me, sorry, I didn't mean to burp on the show. I'm so sorry. <coughs> um, <coughs> it's at uh, si.edu, Smithsonian Institute. So this is uh, World's Columbian Exposition, Chicago World's Fair, 1893. Interior view painting and sculpture exhibits in the Palace of Fine Arts. Yeah, and I just thought, like, the thought that, like, there were so many paintings on display at that World's Fair. It'd be so cool to have one, you know, like, so cool. And um, so I found this image 
And there's some interesting stuff here. Like the original, if you look it up on Smithsonian, it's like, it's like a blueprint or something. It's like all blue. So I had to do some uh, filters there in the old Photoshop. To... And then I, I gave it the same uh, brownish tint as last episode. In fact, there's another connection to last episode. You know, la what was last episode? It was, uh, what was it called? <laughs> How soon we forget. <laughs> Let's see. Let me open up the file here. Yes. Telethons Beneath Dawn. And that was a picture I took. In fact, interestingly, I, um, I, I noticed more symbolism in this image than I even realized. I, took, I just snapped this picture while I was driving. And I was at a light, and I saw the them uh, working on this uh, like refrigerator delivery at this pizzeria nearby. And then you also see the rearview mirror. I talked about this last time. Telethons Beneath Dawn, which was an anagram of the Beatles now and then. So looking at this image, though, right, if you look in the rearview mirror, it's the space between my car and the car behind me kind of forms a V. And by the way, it's a mirror image, so the, the driver is out of the frame, you know. Yeah, um, I, I was like, where's the driver? No, out of the frame. Uh, this it forms like a V. And if you remember um, the Da Vinci Code, remember that whole thing? The book, the movie, the phenomenon? When was that? Like, was it the 90s or early 2000s? When, when was the big Da Vinci Code phenomenon? Anyway, remember Dan Brown? Was that the guy? Anyway, he made a big deal about, in the painting The Last Supper, how... There was a V formed between like Jesus and the guy sitting next to him, and it represented like the female anatomy or something. Female, the V represented some sort of sacred feminine. So there's a V right there, which could represent that. And then right above it uh, is these guys all lifting up this huge monolith, which is very, very kind of phallic. So it's sort of like male and female, the, like looking back, the past, female. Then looking to the future, male. It's like that's all this weird symbolism in this photo I took. Really quite remarkable. So I, I, I use the same kind of application of color, the same font, which is just Helvetica. Sometimes you just need to use Helvetica. And this is this art gallery from, uh, what did I say it was? Uh, Interior View Painting and Sculpture Exhibits in the Palace of Fine Arts. Yeah. Listen, I, I really need to go there to that World's Fair. I really do. I mean... Time machine or an AI could reconstruct it in some sort of virtual reality. And you can go there that way. It would be kind of, kind of like time travel, but not exactly. Anyway, I, I was, uh, it's a cool, so this image, it shows these walls, which looks like the walls are, there's almost like some sort of canvas or something on. Because a lot of these buildings are saying was, were very, uh, meant to be very temporary. And I went through all the Tartaria theories. I think the Tartaria thing was a big waste, honestly. These were just temporary buildings that were made. They weren't like ancient structures that they're trying to hide or whatever. See, not all, conspira not all conspiracy theories are convincing necessarily. I know most people never even <laughs> checked out the Tartaria conspiracy theories, but don't worry about it. Anyway, and there's a bunch of paintings on the walls. And what's cool is that you can actually, uh, what I did was this, this, the one painting especially is this woman walking down the staircase and she has this mask and... It's kind of a striking image. So I actually just cropped that and searched it in Google, and I found easily the identity of this painting and found that it sold as recently as 2018 for not that much money, actually. Well, relatively speaking. Um, 
Let me see if I can find it. So this paint, I'm, I'm finding the information on the painting there. This painting is called uh, Sappho by uh, Ignace, Ignace Spiridon. Uh, it was painted in 1884, just a few years, nine years before the, the fair. It looks a lot different in this image, but it's obviously the same painting. Um, so it's one of these sites where they don't, they told you it was sold at auction, but they don't tell you for how much. But I went to that moldy oldie website. What was that uh, called? Uh, Bug Me Not. Remember that thing? And actually, one of the logins worked for one of these auction sites. So this painting, which had been displayed at the uh, Chicago World's Fair, sold for $10,000. Now, listen, that was, that's not pocket change. That's not cheap. But, you know, it's not like a $100 million. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I thought... I'm sure there's got to be some paintings that were on display there that aren't really worth that much. Can I get one for like two grand maybe? I don't know. It'd be so cool to have a painting that was also displayed at the World's Fair anyway. Uh, let's see what it says about this painting. Because I thought this was a pretty cool image. And then like in the upper left corner, I don't think you can really see it on the show art, but there's, 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 these, like, there's like these weirdos like spying on her, like all these weirdos in the corner. There's a whole story behind this. Uh, let's see. This painting, Provenance, Butterfields, San Francisco, November 18th, 1999. Collection of actress Ronnie Claire Edwards. Purchased from the above, estate sale of Ronnie Claire Edwards. It gives the whole, yeah. It was exhibited at World's Columbian Exposition. The Italian portrait and genre painter Ignace, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that properly, Ignace Spiridon. Enjoyed international celebrity during his career, living and working in the capital cities of Rome, Paris, and Vienna, where he found a ready clientele for his work. In Vienna in 1898, an American, the American writer and humorist Mark Twain sat to Spiridon to, and then wrote about the extraordinary nature of the experience in a letter. He wanted to paint one of me and said he would make short work of it and not tucker me out. So I sat, and he made the best portrait that ever was, and did it in eight hours. I never saw such a man to handle oils and skirmish with a brush. He is terribly accurate. Do we have that painting <laughs> of Mark Twain? I mean, that's a pretty famous guy. Oh, here it is. Okay, is this it? I think so. Yeah, is this, I think this is it. No, that's not it. <laughs> Wait a second. Okay. No, it is him, okay. Advertising crumble lithograph, yeah. It's a kind of a cool, yeah, it's a cool painting of him. Okay, anyway, let's get back to the story at hand here. Where is it though? I have all these, okay, here it is, okay. The wasp wasted, red-headed woman, descending the stairs in Spiridon's monumental canvas of 1884, depicts Fanny Legrand, the main character in Duf Alphonse Daudet's novel Sappho of the same year. The story is a thinly disguised autobiographical account of Daudet's love affair with the notorious Parisian model-cum-courtesan Marie Rue. 
So when they use the word come like that, I, model hyphen C-U-M, come, Cordeson, so she's a model, and then also, what does that mean? Also, what does come mean? Also, because come has other meanings too. Model, come, courtesan. It just means and or wannabe or something. Who used the, sob the sobriquet, what is that, an alias? Chien Vert, green dog. What am I, what is going on? This is getting so complicated. <laughs> She's not in the painting, but it's the, the woman who was, the inspiration for the painting was known as the green dog. Daudet wrote it when he was beginning already beginning to suffer from the, the, syphilit, the syphilitic paralysis that eventually killed him, and the story of a moral tale intended for the, his sons to read at age 20. Oh, this is the, no, okay, the novel that the painting is based on. Okay. The novel is an evocative portrait of a glorious demi-mondaine. Demi-mondaine? An artist model more moving than, than the work she inspires. Her helplessness and sexual beauty are a heady combination which enslave her lover and bring about his moral and spiritual collapse. Daudet and Adolphe Bellot transformed the novel into a play which opened in Paris the following year. Daudet and Spiridon likely knew one another since the painting and the novel both date to 1884 and both men were in Paris then. In 1893, Spiridon and Sappho traveled across the Atlantic to represent the artist together with his equally large and ambitious painting of another female figure shown overdressed and overly embellished, Follette, at the Chicago World's Columbian Exposition. One reviewer wrote of the two paintings, In their essence, they are Parisian. They defy folly. They celebrate the woman of no virtue, the companion of bohemians and students, the philosophic saint of materialism, the world and the masterpiece of Sappho by Alphonse Daudet has a perfect description of this Parisienne, old in sin but capable of throwing a spell on the young Provencal who goes to the mass ball. She has ensnared a new lover. In 1900, Spiridon's painting, Sappho, was used as the basis for the poster advertising Clyde Finch's American play Sappho based on Daudet's novel. Fitch's play was at the center of a sensational New York indecency trial involving the play's star and producer-director Olga Nethersole, who was known in her day as the British Bernhardt. What am I reading here? This is like, well, it's a very dense, I mean, who, who knew? I looked up this one painting in this old picture from the World's Fair, and I'm getting all this stuff. The British, I've heard there's an actress whose name was Sarah Bernhardt, maybe. I've heard the name. I don't know who she is. So this woman, Olga Nethersole, was the British Bernhardt. So the other one was American. The scene that caused all the furor on Broadway involved Sappho's lead character, played by Nethersole, ascending a spiral staircase together with the naive men to whom she was not married, presumably toward the bedroom. Although Nethersole, her co-star, and two managers were arrested for indecency, and the theater was closed for two weeks. She and her colleagues were acquitted by a jury after only 15 minutes of deliberation. What the hell? These, these characters in a play are walking up a staircase. Ooh, it means they're going to go have sex, sex. Like, what the hell? Who would bring them to trial on that? That's insane. The play was reopened two days later. The event is now considered a landmark case in the shift away from Victorian morality as it existed in America 
and Nethersoul herself a trailblazer in advocating women's intellectual independence. It is fascinating that the Broadway poster dramatically alters Spiridon's original painting by banishing the high-slit costume and entirely covering Sappho's legs with her dress. A recent owner of this painting was herself an actress, Ronnie Claire Edwards, who was best known for playing Corabeth Walton Godsey on the TV series The Waltons. <laughs> the hell? The Waltons. They used to watch The Waltons, so she owned the painting, and it sold for $10,000. You you see, like, they just had this article about, uh, uh, oh, this huge auction, these paintings that were little more than scribbles. You know the modern art, absolute garbage. Well, this painting only only sold for $80 million. They were hoping for one ten. Someone took some freaking crayons and scribbled on a piece of paper. I know, you go around in circles on this issue, but this beautiful painting, ten grand. The scribbles go for what? Ten hundred thousand times more? Kitty. Vegas, you okay? Kitty, you were trapped in a wall. I'm so happy he's okay. Kitty. You okay? <laughs> Kitty. Ten thousand dollars. Anyway, that's the story of that. But anyway no, there's more to the story actually. Um I searched for this image on using Google reverse image search, and I found another view of the same room where the paintings are rearranged. It's a uh, collectible from the World's Fair, six issues, Magic City portfolio, photographic views of the fair. And one of the images is of this exact same art gallery, because you can see it's all the same, except the paintings have been rearranged. Like you can see in the upper left, the cow and the tiger, which we see in the main image. But here... The, the painting above the doorway is now to the left, and Sappho is, is up there. And I, and I know Sa Sappho is... What is Sappho? I mean... Uh, Sappho... was an archaic Greek poet from Erisos or Mytilene on the island of Lesbos. She's known for her, she's known for her lyric poetry. Uh, yada, yada... And it has something to do with the relating to les lesbians. In fact, it's funny. Remember when I went to Greece a couple years ago? Um, yeah, that guy that I was hanging out with, uh, the husband of my wife's mother's cousin, uh, and he 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 was from Lesbos, the the island. Beyond her poetry, she is well known as a symbol of love and desire between women. And the English words sapphic and lesbian derive from her name and that of her home island, respectively, see? But I don't know if that it connects to this painting in any way. As she's obviously going up the stairway with two men, and they, they're taken to court. <laughs> the hell? Anyway, um, yeah, so there's this other view and then you can see that, what was that other one called, Fanny or Franny, whatever. The other painting is right to the right of it, which we can't see. It may actually just be out of the frame in the picture that I used. 
very high res picture in fact this this one is low, pretty low res but it, I think that may be it a woman in more of a frilly dress but um yeah interesting there's multiple views of this one gallery yes kitties mojo did you know your brother was in the wall hey Vegas kitty don't go in the wall anymore okay I'm so happy you're okay Yeah, so let's see what else we can see here. Yeah, so in the upper left we have the a picture of a cow and then another separate picture of a tiger. Then there's like sort of a picture of some waves, some dude. There's a bunch of statues. And then there's a painting. I can't even tell what that's supposed to be a painting of. Then there's a, there's a sign that says to the Denmark area, and then you see this painting of this some sort of lawyer-looking dude there. You see some someone's feet. And then above the doorway, you see that painting, which looks more like a canvas or more like a, t a tapestry or something. And you can actually read on there. It says something like agreeable, agreeable leaven, <laughs> agreeable leaven, like Levon Helm, like agreeable leaven. What? Why is everything I'm reading today seems so dreamlike? And then you see the, the painting Sappho. You can kind of see the weirdos like spying on her in this picture too, yeah. Anyway, um, this is very high res. So I actually just took the type from the other one and I put the new name there and it looks much smaller. In con and so I, I really like the way this show art came out. Uh, Pee Wee's Murky Stagecoach. And this is not like, not spelled like Pee Wee Herman. I do believe Pee Wee Herman spells it P-E-E hyphen W-E-E. This is P-E-W-E-E. Pee-wee's murky stagecoach. Pee-wee is a bird, apparently, that goes pee-wee. That's his bird called pee-wee. <laughs> pee-wee's murky stagecoach. What could this be? Just imagine you're like this this weird, maybe it's like a form of time travel. Like this weird stagecoach comes. It's very murky. It's very dark and weird. And this guy, Pee-wee's the driver. You just got to get in, and it takes you back in time to the World's Fair. Pee-wee's murky stagecoach. Is that what it is? Well, it could be, but um, no, it's yet another Beatles anagram. Yes. This one a bit more obscure. Um, you may remember a movie by the Beatles called A Hard Day's Night from 64, which is probably one of the best movies. It is one of the best movies ever made. I, I mean, I absolutely love it. And there's a scene where they're backstage, John, John Lennon and one of the performers dressed up in sort of a, whatever, an, ancient, an old-fashioned like costume, you know. Like in Barry Lyndon, how people used to dress up with the wigs and the, everything. What's up with all those wigs in the past? It's just like, so glad I don't have to wear, as a man, I don't have to wear a wig. <laughs> well, in Britain, don't, don't the judges still have to wear wigs? Yes. There used to be a political party called the Whigs, but it was spelled differently. Anyway, let's just... Uh... So there's this, there's a scene that's kind of hard to understand what they're saying. I'm going to see if I can find it here. Hopefully it's still there. But it's a, it's a very interesting phrase, and... Hard day's night. Uh, hmm. No. We'll find it. I think I think it's called Beatles VHS tapes or something. 
why it, it, I can never find this stuff. I know it's not meant to be found. If they can find it, they they'll ban it. Beatles. All right, I'll I'll play it for you when I find it. I'll find it eventually. With his musical charlatan. But I gave him the test. I'm quite happy to be replaced. He's a typical book passer. I won an award. A likely story. It's on the wall in my office. Hello, Alas. Everybody happy? All right, all right. If you don't need them, I'll lock them up in the dressing room. Please do. I'll not need them for half an hour. Thank you. Have you a bottle of milk and some tranquilizers? I see it all now. It's a plot. I think this is where it is. I thought I found where it was, but I guess not. Comed. Oh yeah, Leslie Jackson. Leslie Jackson. I saw your father in the old Empire in 1909. Ah, if you're as good as him, son, you're all right. Kills one of the ten disappearing doves. Now there's only nine. But the magic marker they had wasn't really quite strong enough for the scene. They needed a sharpie. Nine disappearing doves. Nice. Here we go. Here we go. Here it is. Gear costume. Swap. <laughs> so John Lennon says, sees the guy dressed up with the the 17th century outfit. So gear costume. I guess gear means cool, right? It's a cool costume. And the the guy looks over what he's wearing, and he's like, "Swap," sort of implying that John Lennon's wearing a costume every bit as sort of ridiculous as his. And John Lennon says, "Cheeky." Let's hear that again. No, fast forward. Ah, oh, I lost it again. Oh, here we go. Nine disappearing ghosts. In costume. Swap. <laughs> yeah, the first couple times I saw the movie, I had no idea what they were saying, you know. Uh, so you take the phrase gear costume, swap, cheeky, and uh, throw that in the old anagram maker, and uh, what do you get? You get Pee Wee's Murky Stagecoach. Yay! <laughs> it's the whole explanation. That's what happened. Pee-wee's Murky Stagecoach is an anagram of gear costume swap cheeky. Of course it is. You understand. Another Beatles anagram. There's a lot of them. Well, there could be millions of them, potentially. So that is the whole story of this today's show title. Pee-wee's Murky Stagecoach. These paintings and all sorts of fun stuff. The Denmark area. Looks like they had a lot of good art in the Denmark area. But <coughs> Any more pictures from the Palace of Fine Arts? Like, I should probably... I was just looking on the Smithsonian site. Um, mm -hmm. Let me see if I can find any more. Maybe we can find more views of that same room. Well, there's the exterior. I think this may be one of the buildings that's still standing, right? Is this one of the ones that... One of them they kept... It wasn't made out of, like, a paper mache or whatever the hell. 
Here's a view of it. Uh, they had cameras back then. Yeah. Screening. Yeah, look at this. Yeah. And they just sort of th threw painting. They just covered every wall with paintings because they had, like, limited room, I guess. Yeah. All right, so there's a view showing the whole, like, this huge area. I wonder if the Italy section is near there. I don't know. Hmm. No, no. Err. But here's a, here's a good, uh, yeah. Yeah, Palace of, yeah, so there's like a ton of paintings on the walls. Yeah. I feel like we should be able to go there eventually. Again, maybe a VR recreation of it or actual time travel why not yeah oh so this is uh yeah the transcript of the movie could i just like uh could i just like do the whole movie Paulie, they're trying to fob you off with this musical charlatan. But I gave him the test. I'm quite happy to re be replaced. Yeah, maybe not. Let's not do that. Sorry, I have too many windows open. I have to uh, close some windows here, yes. Excuse me while I close my tabs. Oh yeah, there's also a movie called X, Y, and Z. From 1972, starring um, Michael Caine. An architect married to a brash, obnoxious woman begins to have an affair with a widow who is the exact opposite of his wife. And there was that song by that band, <clears throat> Pop Will Eat Itself, called X, Y, and Z. Who knew they were basing it on a movie with Michael Caine? It's all connected, man. Forget Kevin. Forget about Kevin Bacon. Michael Caine is at the heart of everything. Yes. All right, I will be watching that uh, later, a little bit later on. Or maybe now. Maybe I should start watching it now. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> oh, I do have to mention um, the another musical angle is Nash the Slash. I talked about in the Nash episode, a uh, musician from Toronto, and they're trying to make a movie about him, but... And I, I contributed to the Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever. And <coughs> I think it's the same people that are making a movie with a slightly different name, yada, yada. But um, I kept reading and doing this research about Nash the Slash that he based his name on a character in uh, what was one of the first Laurel and Hardy movies uh, called Do Detectives Think from 1927. It's only like 22 minutes long. So I watched it this morning. It, and they look so young, especially uh, Hardy looks so young. They probably were really young in 1927. Um, but they said this was the first movie where they wore the derby hats and kind of became the comedy team and the characters that you, that, you, that you know and love. Or if you're younger, you may never have heard of Laurel and Hardy. You should know about them. 
Um, it's it's pretty good, but like there is no character named Nash the Slash. There's a character called the Slasher or the Tipton Slasher, but there's no sign of Nash or anything. Um, so there's a trial, and this guy uh, is being convicted, and the judge is like, "Oh, you're gonna hang," and he's like, "I'm gonna escape just so I can kill you." So eventually, he does escape. So they they take the two worst detectives in the world, Laurel and Hardy, or whatever their names are, in there. And they send them to protect him. And then hilarity ensues as they wind up fighting the murderer. It was pretty good as, as such things go. They are just, they're, they're sort of a couple of the complete fuck-ups. That's sort of the bottom line. <laughs> they're like shitty detectives and idiots, which is quite funny. <clears throat> I was amused. So that's where the name Nash the Slash came from. And it made me watch that old movie. And whoever threw it together used some of that Leroy Shields music, which worked very well. I don't know if that would have been used in the original uh, release of it, but they did use that Leroy, you know, like the Little Rascals music, Roach Studio, stuff like that. You know what I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, you do. Anyways, I think that's it for now. I'm going to go and uh, watch Ipcris File. And uh, tomorrow, uh, which will come for you in this recording in just a few moments tomorrow will already be here uh i will i will let you know how i liked it how i liked the ipcris file what's that song tomorrow is already here it's a stereo lab song is that like a reaction to the song from annie the musical tomorrow tomorrow always a day away. No. Now Stereo Lab says tomorrow is already here. Oh, I know this song. The titles are, are never really relate to the lyrics or anything. <laughs> da, da, yeah, I know it's a good, really good song. It's from, it's from Emperor Tomato Ketchup, right? Yeah. That's, I don't think it's their best album, but it's a lot of people consider it at their best album. That was a big breakthrough album in the indie rock scene. Tomorrow is already here. F Annie. She's an idiot. Tomorrow is already here. Yeah, how does this song go? Dun, 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 dun. Well, tomorrow is not already here, but... Originally, this setup was to serve society. Now the roles have been reversed. That wants society to serve the institutions. Originally, serve society, serve society. Role has have been reversed. Institutions, alienation. Good song. It's about enough of that. All right. In a moment, tomorrow will already be here. Good morning. See, tomorrow is already here. See how that works? Yes. Yeah, so I did watch the Ipcris file. I, I started it last night, then I kind of fell asleep, so I finished it this morning. Really good movie. Uh, much better as a movie than uh, The Italian Job, really. It's a very well-done movie. Really interesting in a number of ways. It's a spy thriller. Um... 
it has a very some very unique aspects. Like for example, it really focuses on a lot of little, like mundane tasks in life, like putting coins in a parking meter, cooking a dinner, um, paperwork. It, it's very interesting how it does that. It's sort of usually when you see sort of a James Bond movie or spy thriller, you don't really see the day-to-day uh, mundane stuff that everyone has to do, including spies. It was really interesting. Um, I really like the pacing and the directing and the editing. It was really good. Of course, Michael Caine is fantastic as um, Harry Palmer. What a great character. Really, a kind of a person we all know, sort of like a He's considered insubordinate, iconoclastic. He kind of, um, you know, it's it's actually hard to put into words, but it's the best version of that type of character I think I've ever seen on screen. Kind of this, like, smug, sarcastic asshole kind of guy that's but kind of likable at the same time, you know. Uh, yeah, very interesting. And um, there's some amazing scenes I know it starts it starts off at a train station very similar to how Hard Day's Night starts off at a train station I wonder if it was actually the, tr- the same train station one scene that really stands out is uh, in a supermarket he sort of he meets his his old boss sort of secretly at the supermarket and they're going through the aisle and he's like I, I sort of I detest this American style shopping I guess it's an American style supermarket that maybe was kind of new at that point in in 65 um, yeah, the story itself about that, the Ipcress file, um, it, uh, you know, it's really, you know, the, the story arc is great. It takes a long, it takes its time getting, getting going. Um, but it feels like there's a lot going on. And in the end, it does make sense, spoiler alert, but, um, you know, he was sort of chosen for his, insubordinate ways in order to try to solve this whole Ipcrest case. Uh, the part where he's sort of undergoing this mind control is a bit harrowing to watch because you're sort of... I actually had an experience once um, where I was listening to an episode of Howard Stern while g- walking to work in New York City. And there was a hypnotist on that was hypnotizing someone, but I felt like I was getting hypnotized too just walking around the streets of New York City. It was very weird. So it's like weird mind control hypnosis, like, uh, you know, like, uh, it was kind of like you see a lot, like, projecting images of all this weird stuff and mind controlling people. I know in Lost they had some sessions like that, right? Mind control sessions, yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I think that this fictional uh, version of this was really based on at least one known example, the MK Ultra project, which is not a conspiracy theory. Well, it's partially a conspiracy theory in that it's a, been established that it was a, a mind control program by the CIA. And uh, that's been firmly established, but it has uh, the... Where it becomes a conspiracy theory is that at some point they shut it, they supposedly shut it down, though a lot of people think they never shut it down and it's still going in, in various forms. Ipcress, yeah, yeah, really, really impressive, and I just see it seems like the kind of movie that was sort of made for Michael Caine. Um, 
as I, and as I said, really all in in most ways a, a superior film to uh, Italian Job. Yeah, good stuff. I, I I there's so many, especially in that time period, late '60s, mid to late '60s, early '70s. So many of his films, and as I said, I really should rewatch Get Carter because that is such an amazing movie. It's in a way, Michael Caine. Um, it, all the the characters are different, but there's they all sort of Michael Caine is such a powerful presence. I think it's it's hard to it, it sort of feels like all these characters are sort of they're sort of like the same character in some ways in these different movies. Yeah, real interesting guy. It's very sad. Uh, this place, Plant Witch, is closing uh, in, in nine days, the 26th, I guess. We're going to order a few more times. They're uh, in uh, Glenrock, uh, New, New Jersey, and it's a place that makes vegan sandwiches, and they're so good. Uh, been getting, like, hash browns there, um, breakfast sandwiches. Like, There's a really good one called Aunt Rosemary with egg, hash brown, and cheese on an English muffin with roasted garlic rosemary aioli. Um, great stuff and I've been getting some of the sandwiches like the uh, chickpea tuna sa- sammy, tofu egg sammy all sorts of great stuff and they're they're going to be uh, going out of business or I, I guess they're not going out of business they're saying they have to close this location and then they may do some pop-ups or some other stuff but so it was very sad but this actually was in was in delivery range so we could actually get some vegan food delivered plant witch Unfortunately, store closing eleven twenty six. Maybe we should do like a really big order right before they close and like freeze everything so we can pretend they're still in business. No, it's not a good idea. I thought that uh, they had more context of their closing. Uh, let's see. Any uh, information? Let's, let's see if we can find information here. Plant witch. Plant witch. I'm trying to find the. Uh, okay, here's the actual post on Facebook with some more context. We say this with so many mixed emotions, but our last day here will be Sunday, November 26th, 2023. We would like to thank all our amazing customers and those who have genuinely supported us along the way. It's been the best part of this adventure. This isn't goodbye forever, more like a see you soon. Whether it's pop-ups, markets, or something of the like, we will be back in some way. We have a couple weeks left here. Stop by and grab one last plant witch or two in our Glenrock location. Also, please remember to use any gift cards you may have purchased in the past by 1126. Yes. Very sad indeed. Let me see where their location is or was. It's like uh, Glenrock. I don't know Glenrock that well. I know there's there's Glen Ridge and Glenrock. There's these two towns. Of course, I always get them confused. 251 Rock Road, Glen One. Right, let's see. So it is... Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like up, it's, it's like up by... Uh, 
<laughs> Hawthorne and Farrell on that area, yeah. Let's see if we can get a get a fix on the uh, <coughs> location here. Street view. <laughs> is this is this it where it is? Really? Hmm. Eh. It's a nice little downtown street. I can't really tell though where like where their location is here. Well, this is from 2020 and 2021. These photos. I don't know if. What was the uh, number? 251 Rock Road. There's like an Allstate Insurance there. Mark's Cheesecakes? What? <laughs> what the hell? Come on. Oh, come on. The math reading success place. Oh, it's like a tutoring place. Come on. Come on. I don't know. That's kind of a, a rough name. Come on. For children's tutoring, please. Come up with a better name than come on. Please. Come on! Learn, damn it! Learn! <laughs> is that what they say? That is our secret of, t of tutoring. Come on! <laughs> Learn it already, please! <laughs> come on. I guess this must be the place. I don't know. Make it more. 250. Oh, the whole... This thing, plant which is... Oh, okay, there's a picture of it. Okay. Plant witch. Is that on the other side of the building or something? Hmm. Let's see. Yeah, it's like a red awning or something. Let me see. Maybe it is on the other side of the building. Uh, let's go behind the building here. Do, do, do. Uh, no, no. It's not really adding up. No, wait, there it is, there it is. Okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so this was uh, for lease in, when they took the picture in October 2021. So they weren't there that long, actually. Hmm. I'm s sad. That, I mean, I know it's like, it looks like an expensive town, like a fancy town. Um, but still, I think they, you know, there should be enough. We, we ordered enough stuff from them, please. Anyway. Farewell, Plant Witch. Hopefully they'll be back at some point. It actually was really good. Really, really good uh, sa uh, vegan sandwiches. It's later on now, and I solved those two mysteries, or three mysteries, from uh, the other day. I was thinking of these things I talked about on the show, or maybe in one case didn't talk about on the show. Things that I could remember enough about to look for, but not remember what they were called. Um, the first mystery was there was this kind of obscure uh, streaming service that had sci-fi and horror channels, and there was some time travel TV show. And I actually was... I tried to figure out when this could have been from. I started in the summer of 2022 and just looking at my uh, show notes and finally found the name of it. Apparently, I talked about it on Overnightscape 1966, Playfully Devil Solitaire, from uh, November 22nd, 2022. So this was a 2022 thing. Um, the service is called Devo TV, D-E-V-O-T-V, Devo TV. 
and um, it's still going apparently. And the show in question was called Flatland. Flatland, a TV show. It uh, looks like uh, starring uh, Dennis Hopper, actually. It says the struggle between good and evil forces in an alternate universe cross- crosses over into modern day Shanghai to endanger both worlds. So, yeah. Dennis Hopper, I guess, is in it, right? Yeah. Anyway, he plays Smith. Wow. So that's that's that that's that uh mystery solved. I wanted to see that show uh Flatland though. The other one was a bit harder to get. It was um I I remember this K-pop video that I was found interesting. And I was searching 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 couldn't find anything. Finally, I was searching through uh I thought it could have been earlier this year or maybe last year. Music, K-pop music videos from this year, and then I actually remembered that I think I posted it, the video on Discord. So I went into Discord and searched for YouTube, and I found it. It's a, the group is a, the K-pop group Dreamcatcher, and the song Maison, Maison, like a house in French, Maison, Dreamcatcher Maison, and uh, that post I made was on uh, April twentieth, twenty twenty-two. So these are two 2022 things that were like, seemed like utterly distant memories, even though it was just last year, right? Let me see when this video came out, this uh, Dreamcatcher Maison. Yeah, and it and it had a lot of interesting, like, uh, conspiracy, conspiracy theory type stuff. They had sort of like a, a destroyed version of the world and horned beings and lasers and all sorts of fun stuff. And this, yeah, it looks like it came out around that same time. Can I find when it came out? April 12th, 2022. Yeah. It was, it's an interesting, I, did, I totally forgot it was Dreamcatcher. Anyway, mystery solved. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> it, took a, it took a while, but uh, I was able to solve those mysteries. I'm so happy I did. Now I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> But I will say, especially looking at the show notes, uh, going back to 20, late 2021, 2022, yeah, yeah, there's something weird going on. Uh, it, I mean, it just, it feels long, maybe longer ago than it should, or the quality of the memories are a little different than they should be. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's just something, there's a strange feeling in the terms of the quality of the memories. Um, I often think about the idea that was one of the one of the themes that was put forth in that movie Vanilla Sky that was way back uh, whenever that movie came out with Tom Cruise where uh, you know he uh, he died and then he was brought back to life in a computer but it was sort of seamless for him like he like in he sort of felt like he he had the car accident but didn't die and his life just continued on even though he was now living in a computer right so the idea is that um we don't know considering the extent of our capacity to know the nature of the world around us um could what we're experiencing be some sort of continuation like of something that ended you know what I mean? Like this is a recreation of 
or continuation of my life, but now in some sort of virtual reality or something. It just, you know, that kind of thought. Um, I mean, it, there wouldn't necessarily be any reason to think that, but I'm saying the quality of the memories and just the gut feelings, it feels like there's something weird going on. But, yeah, it was just weird, the looking back on that on that time period. It is a confusing time period. It really is. If you think about it, it was starting in that pandemic of 2020. Then there was 2021. So that's two whole years. And then there's 2022, and that's three whole years. And now a, four, a fourth year, 2023, is almost done. We're in November. But it doesn't... There's something weird about... I, I, I know the pandemic and all this other stuff kind of messed up time perception, but... Yeah, it's just getting very weird. Weird perceptions. What could it all mean? I was thinking about a topic that's kind of hard to describe. I think I must have talked about it before, but um, how how to word this? I think we'll call this appreciation vectors. Kind of inspired by PQ series, The Appreciator. Appreciation vectors, right? So... This has to do with the ex- um, existence of available, um, let's say, media, like a music. You can have recorded music. You can have recorded videos. You can you know, watch movies. Like I just watched those uh, Michael Caine movies recently. Uh, uh, even as of this morning, I was watching the um, Ipcris file. Yeah. Um, cartoons and other types of exp- – any kind of human experience, right? So – we know that, for example, the movie The Ipcris File, right? I just watched it last night and this morning, and um, it's a movie seen through my life experience up to this point, right? So me watching the movie is going to be very different than someone else watching the movie or someone that was actually sitting in a movie theater watching it in, in 1965, right? The idea being that... Um, we think of it in terms of, right, having access to, like, I wanted to watch If Chris Files, so I found it and I watched it. And the knowledge that I could watch it again, it's, right, it's, you know, it's still available, obviously. Music as well, all of the different music um, that we have available to us. All that we have, each of us has, is our own self, right? Constantly evolving and changing as time goes on, but it's our own self. So I know that my listening to music is going to be very much influenced by all of my life experience up to this point, right? All of the music I've listened to, everything I know about all the music I've listened to is going to be very much my point of view. So at this level, as individual human beings, we uh, can only really... We're only really concerned with, right, the media that we can get our hands on and experience, right, as ourself in the moment. But think about this, that um, if you were a higher being that had uh, access to higher capacities, right, you could start looking at this type of media experiences um, in terms of... uh, Right. 
let's say you're this sort of godlike being in in the cosmos, but you're aware of like Michael Caine movies and stuff. But as at that godlike level, if you were to watch the Ipcris file, it would be kind of perhaps kind of lacking in impact. You'd have to find an appreciation vector. You'd have to f- watch it. You, you you could sort of tap into someone else watching it. You see what I'm saying? Feel what they're feeling. Think what they're thinking as they're watching it, right? And then not only that, if you're at that level, you could you could try and watch the Ipcris file from numerous different points of view. You could scan reality and and find instances of people watching the movie. For example, you might imagine even in one movie theater, let's say in Britain in 1965, everyone in the theater watching this movie, you could potentially tap in to any one of those people in that one movie theater, in that one showing, and experience the movie from their point of view. It would be different from every point of view. See what I'm saying? Every person in one showing of the movie theater, and if you think about it, right, would be different and if you think there's been millions and millions of people who have seen that movie now since it was released in a various ways, uh, in the movie, re-releases on TV late at night, on the Internet, what have you, right? So if you can imagine, this would add a whole nother, um level to this whole thing, right? Um If you're at that capacity, and if you had, right, a, a being might have the capacity to actually watch it from every perspective in one timeline at once. You could watch it millions of times at once from all the different points of view. I thought that'd be really interesting. But as kind of an offshoot idea to that, the idea that um, this world that we're living in especially with the, um, like, how most of us are situated at this point, right, with the video streaming services, the music streaming services, YouTube, etc. plus th- throw in a little dash of, you know, BitTorrent and that kind of stuff for, to, for stuff that you can't find easily. Um, like, I, at this moment, am kind of, have at my fingertips, and most of us do these days, the ability to sort of listen to any record from the past, to watch any movie or TV show from the past, right? To read any book from the past, right? So, think about it in terms of like when you're playing a video game. I remember I, I used to play, um, on my PlayStation 3, maybe? Um, Grand Theft Auto 4. It was the Stories from Liberty City expansion. And I remember... I had this one save point. And I didn't care about the game anymore. I just wanted to explore. So I would... It was it was over in New Jersey, and I was, like, living in this warehouse. And I had all these cheat codes on my, my phone in the game. And so... From this one save point, I was able to. I would just go outside and I would type. I would hit this, these numbers on my phone, and a helicopter would appear, and I could just take the helicopter. Like I used to fly it over to Rockefeller Center and like crash it in a fountain, 
there's like a Poseidon fountain instead of the Prometheus statue. Um, and just, it was like this one save point that allowed me to just have all this fun. So if the world I'm living in right now is some, is akin to some kind of video game, an artificial world, um, you could say that when we think about, oh, alternate timelines, it's, not, it's just different save points in the game, right? It's like basically um, you can play the game and, as lo- and, and if you quit before you save, right, everything that you experienced is now sort of wiped out and you go back to that save point. It just didn't happen in terms of the game. And you can make multiple save points. So what if, like, you could say that today is like a save point in this game and whoever's running the game can now watch movies and listen to music from this one, from the Frank Nora perspective. You see what I'm saying? If this is just a game. I'm saying I would be the one doing it, but I would be another type. I would be a the player of the game. And Frank Nora is my character. You see what I'm saying? But it would seem really valuable to, as, as if it's something that I appreciate, to have this capacity. So you might say this is a save point and now today, you know, you could start watching tons of different movies from this one save point, from this one, from this particular perspective. I know, I know this idea is not sketched. It just sort of, is this is sort of a, a science fiction concept that, Right. It's the experiences you can have that are valuable, more valuable than anything, really. Well, that, that's a difficult statement to make. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's just there's a very strange tone to, uh, especially lately, things seem to be there seems to be weird just perceptions of like I f- feel like I'm forgetting something feels like things are different in some way but it's this these feelings are completely inconclusive it could just be a trick of the mind you know a flight of fancy what have you it's kind of warm out here today I like it it's a weird warmer, windier day than usual for this time of year. Near the wind in the trees. Yeah. What is that? A car parked in a driveway across the street has like some sort of graphic of a person on the side of it. I think it's like a business car with one of those, uh, how, you know, how they print, they can wrap around. Yeah, yeah, it does have that, yeah. You can think of wrap images around a vehicle. Yeah, I think I've seen that one before. I realized I should listen to talk show. I don't know why it came... Oh, I know where it came from. They have a song called Peeling an Orange. Somehow I was thinking about peeling oranges for some reason. This was their big single. 1997. 
So this band, of course, is uh, basically Stone Temple Pilots without Scott Weiland. See, they tried to, uh, <clears throat> I guess they were having trouble with Weiland, Scott Weiland. So they found this guy, uh, Dave Coots to be the new singer. <coughs> uh, this is what it says. Talk Show is an American alternative hard rock band consisting of Dave Coots and then the rest of the members of Stone Temple Pilots, which I was a big fan of Stone Temple Pilots. Dean DeLeo, Robert DeLeo, Eric Kretz. The group was essentially Stone Temple Pilots with Coots, formerly of the band Ten Inch Men, taking the place of Scott Weiland, who was working on solo material and struggling with drug addiction. Talk Show released their self-titled and only album on Atlantic Records on, in September 1997. From this album, they released the single Hello, Hello. Hello, Hello. Wasn't that a Howard Stern uh, audio clip? Baba Booey going, Hello, Hello. Remember that? You might if you were a Howard Stern listener back in the day. Which, is also, which they also shot a music video for. Despite positive reviews and supporting tours with Foo Fighters and Aerosmith, the album's sales were disappointing. Hey, I bought one. They at least sold one. And deemed a commercial failure. With the lackluster sales after the promotional radio release of Everybody Loves My Car, Coots left the band, and the DeLeo brothers with Kretz suit were soon reunited with Wyland as Stone Temple Pilots once again. Can you believe this guy Coots quit? Whatever happened to him? Dave Coots, C-O-U-T-T-S. It's a crazy old Coots. Dave Coots. Ooh, a conversation with Dave Coots from 2023. Wow, we can actually hear a conversation with him. Can you imagine your your whole claim to fame is that you were an, a failed replacement for a singer? Very sad. Now here's a conversation. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. What? You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks very much for joining me. I'm proud to bring you a conversation with not one, but two musicians. That's fast, bro. Yes! <laughs> Which one is Coots? That was great. God. One of them is Coots. One of the things that I don't like in uh, JQ. Um, and then I, I moved to Atlanta. Andrew, who's your favorite now? Hidden influences, like, you know. I'm, All right, this is rather yeah, boring, yeah. but anyway. I'm going to listen to the album, though. It's a good album. I mean, it's it's not bad. It's just sort of a one-and-done kind of album, you know. Scott Weiland died a few years ago too. <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking, what year did he die? Damn, Scott Weiland. <clears throat> I'd say, uh, was it like 2019, maybe? 2015. Wow, I, wow, I was way off. He's only 48 years old. What, what did he? What did he take drugs? Was he on drugs? Yeah. 
Yeah, he had a lot of, he took a lot of drugs, too much drugs, and he died. He was a great singer. I was a big fan. Very sad. Sad indeed. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello. So yeah, I'm definitely taking a break from cigars. Love cigars so much. Um, as you may recall, I ran out of cigars. I think around the time I got back from Europe in uh, September, decided not to order any more. I felt like, uh, you know, I don't know. I just felt like I was smoking too much, you know, every day. I thought that was too much. I, I would love to just, you know, smoke, you know, once or twice a week or something. But it's tough. It's hard for me. Well, especially when it's nice out, I can come out on the porch and have a smoke. I felt it was a little too much. Um, so then I, you know, I had some leftover pipe tobacco, which was okay. I did that a few times, but it's been a few weeks now. I've hardly smoked anything at all. So I think I also wanted to just make sure that I was not like addicted, addicted to it all. You know, I know I've never really had a problem in the past. I mean, I think when I was smoking pipes every day inside many years ago. I think it was the same as when I was smoking out here. It was I, I got an urge to smoke because uh, it was like a habit. Obviously, people get addicted to cigarettes. Um, but, yeah, it was really no big deal. I mean, it was... I had a few cravings here and there, but nothing. I've never smoked cigarettes. I'm just, you know, the idea... And anything that they describe that has such horrible addictiveness, <coughs> like cigarettes or some drugs and stuff. I'm just super afraid of getting involved in anything like that. You know, it sounds like such torture. But I mean, obviously, you know, like cigars are in the same vein as cigarettes, but somehow it just, for me at least, it's not as, not really that addictive. And I guess alcohol as well. I mean, I do, I do like having a drink from time to time or most days perhaps have one or two drinks. But it's never something that I feel particularly uh, compelled to have. I guess I just don't have, uh, you know, that um, substance abuse uh, proclivity as so many people do. I, I, and it's like, you know, like, I don't know. I feel fortunate that I'm able to enjoy these things without getting addicted or mildly addicted, let's say. Like coffee is also an addiction. It's mild though. I just, you know, and I've I've quit coffee many times just to see if I could. Besides the dull throbbing headache that lasts about a day or two, it's not too bad. But yeah, I guess I'll continue my cigar break for a while. Eh. I'll get back to it eventually. So my initial, my plan to release the book on November nineteenth uh, is uh, it's not going to happen on that day, as it's two days from now. It's come up fast. It's November seventeenth right now, Friday. So of course, um, <coughs> uh, it is not it is not ready yet. Though I have been working on it quite a bit. Um, but yeah, that's so in two days, so on Sunday, it will be 
November 19th, which is the uh, third major 209 holiday of the year. <coughs> right. The number 209, which is uh, really big for me. Still don't know what it means. The three holidays are February 9th. Obviously, it's 209. You have uh, July 28th, which is the 209th day of the year. It's the 27th on the le- on leap year. And finally, November 19th, 11 times 19 equals 209. The third big 209 holiday of the year. Really, there's really almost no one into 209 except for me and my friend Brian. And we're, we're the ones who had those dorm rooms, 209, in uh, 1985 when America had just turned 209. We didn't realize that for a few years. Uh, Peter, of course, Peter from the Three Weasels also has picked up some 209 stuff himself. And then, of course, there's Peter Bernard, another Peter, uh, who I met from the whole Andy Kaufman thing back in 2000-whatever, whatever (laughs) whatever these years are, 2008 or something. Uh, He is also really into 209. I don't think anyone else is, but... Some, will we ever find out what it's all about? I don't know. Um, so, uh, November 19th, 1999, is uh, when I started a project called It was sort of a side project away from my Obliviana.com project. It started off as kind of a virtual, an idea for a virtual universe, but... And that's what it was. I sort of declared it to be on, on that day. And then uh, a few months later in March, I decided to turn it into an Internet radio station. That, bluffcosm.com, eventually uh, was kept going until uh, March of 2003, three years later. I started the Overnightscape on bluffcosm.com. And then... I kind of dropped Bluffcosm, and I just be- just became the Overnightscape. And then, back in 2007, I started the Overnightscape Underground, on Sug for short. And then uh, that eventually became, you know, by um, 2009, it started becoming a group channel, and it became what we know today as On Sug Radio or the Overnightscape Underground. Um, so it did start. It specifically started November 19, 1999, which is so it'll be 24 years. I know 24 is not usually considered a big anniversary. You know, there's 20, 25, 30, whatever. But 24 is a pretty important number because it's 1 times 2 times 3 times 4, right? Yes. That's So it's like one of those kind of numbers. Anyway, November 19th, 1999, as I, as I like to point out, is, uh, is considered the last odd day uh, because if you look, if you spell out the date... The, the month as, as numbers, the, the day as numbers, and the year as numbers, right? You can notice that November 19th, 1999 is 1-9, 1-1, 1-9, 1-9-9-9. So every single one of those numbers is odd. As it so happens, that was the last day that all the numbers are odd until January 1st, 31-11, which is a long ways away. <laughs> so we're a thousand years away. A thousand years, give or take. It's just well, it's just a millennium, it's a millennium or so. Well, no, in a thousand years it'll be thirty twenty three, and we have to get all the way to thirty one eleven. So it's a little over a millennium. Anyone listening at thirty one eleven? The next odd day, January first, thirty one eleven. But right, I mean, after that, right, um, in November, thirty days hath November, 
right? So I've, there's the 20s, 20 through 29. Those all have two as even. Then you have 30. The 30th, well, zero is not odd, right? It's, it may not be even, but it's not odd. It's not, zero is not an odd number. Then we get to December, which is a, has a 12 in it. Those are all twos. And we get to the year 2000, so that there's going to be in two in all of those up to the year 3000, but then there's zeros all around until we get to 3111. Anyway, yeah, so it'll be uh, 24 years of this project. That means in one year it'll be the 25th anniversary of the project, theoretically. Yeah, yes indeed. But I am continuing to work on the book. I feel it's close. As I said uh, on last episode, we're now locked in terms of it's going to go up to October 2023. Because I can't keep updating it. I really, right, it needs to be set at this point. Because what I have left to do for the print edition, I mean, it's, it's all there. I need to add all of the uh, short images. There's four at the bottom of each page. I need to add the listening tokens, which is a system I came up with. Um, this sort of add a little bit of extra spice to the whole thing. So each playlist, basically, each set of shows has a listening token, which is basically just a um, an emoji, you know. And there's this great black and white emoji set, a Noto emoji from Google that I'm using. Um, with the idea being, I suppose, if you wanted to, if, once you listen to all the shows in a particular playlist, you can add that to your... Uh, you could add that that emoji to your listening set or whatever. It's, there's not going to be anything particularly formalized. I just thought it was kind of cool to have it in there. But it is still a lot of work to put those in. And then I just, you know, in each section I need to sort of format it, make sure it's nice, make sure everything flows properly. And, uh, you know, I need to f- I have the Flea Devil Solitaire rules that's that are going to be in there. And, you know, the introduction and things like that. So it's going to take a few more weeks, but I, I really feel like we're getting close now for the new edition of the book. And, of course, the book cover that I made some major changes on in the past month. It has that sort of uh, yellow ochre color on the cover with the, the off-white type, the moonlight type. A purple uh, section on the, towards the bottom that shows the city at night. And a couple little green highlights. And that's what you got. It's you know, black and white, green Violet and uh, and uh, an ochre. I like how it's t- how the covers turned out. I I wasn't super thrilled with the last one. I wanted to to be stand out a little bit more, and I do think it stands out now without being too crazy. So anyway, yes, the next edition of the book coming soon. Apparently, they raised the price of uh, I, I I had set the price as low as possible as this is a non-commercial project. But they jacked the price up because, of course, everything's going up because of inflation. So I, I don't know exactly how much the book is now. The previous book, uh, you still can buy the previous book from 2021 called The Onsug, a radio station inside a book. This is called Onsug Radio, broadcasting from inside this book. You know. So, anyway, check it out. It's coming soon. Yeah, and it's going to be about 500 pages, so it's going to be less pages than the other one. It just doesn't have all the show art in the print edition, but there's that digital extension, which I do have now, but it's not fully formatted. So I don't think I'll have a formatted extension 
for the release of the book, but I will eventually have it. And then there's the uh, the book files, which is all of the uh, all of the shows in on in an audio in a um, that you can put on a on a uh, on a drive. You know, so it's got to be around a. T- I think a terabyte will still accommodate it, and I'll be figuring that out as well. I'll be fixing that up. A lot of work, but I'm going to get it going. Um, check out the book on Sug Radio. And also, as far as the book goes, and I think I might want to, I think I am going to write something in there, a description of this, because this is uh, yet to come, but I think that I've been anticipating that you know, we're going to move from a flat internet to a 3D internet, you know, a, a, a metaverse, so to speak. This, uh, what I feel is the natural progression or evolution of, of user interfaces has been stalled incredibly, as we've talked about so much on this show. Virtual reality, etc. Metaverse worlds, etc. Um, as a new way to compute, a new way to... Um, explore the internet I still think it's coming for whatever reason it's been very delayed but I do feel like Onsug Radio is going to have a physical form as and I talked about this at the anniversary shows earlier this year the 20th anniversary shows Um, so I mean basically every website will kind of go from being flat pages with graphics and type and stuff to to being a three-dimensional place you know so like amazon will be one giant shopping center you know you walk around and look at products and right um you know and again you know like youtube will be like a movie theater or you know what i mean there, there'll be different ways of doing it i know it, it sounds sounds like it's gonna be a tough transition and i think at the very least you know if your your old website can just become sort of a room with the website on the wall, if 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 you can't really update it, you know. but I do feel like um, my vision for Onsug Radio in the metaverse was to have it be a little, um, it's like a little storefront, like in a mall, that kind of space, and it would be patterned after sort of a a, uh, a video store, a video rental store, like Blockbuster, um, with uh, instead of videos they'll be these boxes but they'll represent all the shows here in Onsug Radio and you can then take them into listening rooms that will have like uh, you know images projected on the on the walls to give different environments and stuff as you for you to listen something very simple like that you know and I think this the entrance will be the book so you're walking inside the book you know when to, to do that just a thought I know what really matters is for this project is the set of audio files. That's really the main thing that matters. That's the heart of the matter. But, of course, we need to build this container to allow it to pierce into the future. So the book is that container. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird how that date, 11-19-23, which is two days from now, it seemed like such a far way away. I was like, oh, it's months away. I can finish the book in that time. Yeah, right. And that's where it's finally here. Yes. 
Anyways, with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching in to this episode of the Overnightscape. It is much much appreciated. I love doing this show. I love that some of you out there are listening in the near and far future. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. We're here in Onsug Radio, as I've been mentioning. Uh, you can just go to onsug.com. That's O-N-S-U-G. Onsug. O-N-S-U-G. Overnightscape Underground. Onsug. Go to onsug.com. And there you can find the, the previous book. And at, when I update it, I'm, I'm assuming I'll put the new book on that link. I don't know if there'll be... I guess I'll leave the old book up for sale, I suppose. There's no reason to take it down, per se. I mean, it's, you know. But you know what I'm saying. Hear all the latest shows, and uh, you can click on the Onsug Radio link uh, onto the Internet Archive. Every show we've ever done is preserved for you to hear. Uh, we're a non-commercial project, so we, as I mentioned earlier, we, we don't... Uh, we don't... Uh, everything's free, okay? It's all free. And uh, we've taken the... Um, you know, the commercial aspect out of it, which I think is really important, because a project like this, I don't think would last too long if it had commerciality associated with it. It's, it's, I think this project is built for the, for the long term with a different kind of focus. You know, we, we're individual people that we love uh, talking, telling stories, giving our perspectives on things. And, um, you know, we I love the thought. I think all of us here on the channel, we love the thought that people will get something out of it in the future. I feel like my experience listening to Gene Shepard, those old tapes from the 60s and 70s, um, changed my life so much. And this voice from the past uh, impacted my life so much that I feel like there's something to this phenomenon. And I hope people in the future do get something out of it. But we're we're doing it more for that kind of, um, as a kind of a, the love of sharing and the tr- the cross time community, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the cross time community. What? <laughs> anyway, yeah, its commerciality doesn't particularly suit it. But anyway, yeah. So you can check it out now that you know about it. You can you can check out all of Onsig Radio. We have over fourteen thousand hours of content, which is. More than in one year and seven months of audio. A lot of audio. And it does fit in a terabyte thus far. Um, yeah, you can check out this archive now for the rest of your existence and on into your next existence. And especially people in the future who may have vastly extended lifespans, whatever. If you're bored, just uh, always, you can always come back to Onsug Radio and listen to all of our various concepts, adventures, and uh, gripes, and uh, complaining about things as we usually do. <laughs> it's here for you. We are your radio pals on Onsug Radio. Yes. Love to hear from you as well. Uh, check out Overnightscape Central. New topic each week. You are invited to record Mr. PQ River out in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Gives us a new topic each week. This week's topic is getting old. You still have time to record getting old. I feel like I, I am I getting older. Well, I'm 56. It's, it's a number. It's an age. It does seem pretty old, but I don't feel that old. Everyone always says that, you know, that uh, like I don't feel any different than I felt when I was like younger. I feel 
like the same. I know the various inconveniences that come with age, um, and I'm aware that I'm, even though I don't feel old, that people would perceive me as being old. Even though I don't think I look my age, I think I could pass for someone in their late forties, perhaps, <laughs> possibly. Uh, but I am 56, and um, yeah, so getting older, definitely. It's a whole thing. Getting some gray hairs, you know. Like my sideburns are gray, kind of like, uh, what's that guy's name? Not Rex Reed. Rex Reed is that uh, film critic guy. I think he's still around, right? What's up with Rex Reed? He's No, I'm thinking of Reed Richards, yes, from the fa- Fantastic Four. He had those gray sideburns. I got those now. I don't... Uh, Yeah, I don't feel like I'm going to particularly pursue any intervention with my hair. I'm thinning on top and graying. I think I'll just let, I just want to let it go. I don't want to color it or get a a toupee or whatever. I'm okay. I'll be fine. (laughs) I don't need all that stuff. Well, it's not that bad yet. We'll see. Maybe it's going to get worse. Uh, Yeah getting old well as it is in in 2023 i wouldn't want to be any younger considering i got to experience the most amazing time period a little bit of the 60s as a kid as a toddler basically then this childhood in the 70s how fantastic fantastic time to be a kid amazing and then uh you know from uh what 13 to 23 in the 80s Really, uh, you know, my old high school and college years are all in the 1980s. Fantastic. And then my young adulthood in the 1990s. Listen, I wouldn't want to give any of that stuff up. So by by necessity, that means I have to be pretty old in 2023. That's how it works. And I know I missed a bunch of good kid stuff in the 60s. I know being a kid in the 60s or in the 50s had had its own charm. So have to try reincarnating in those times at some point to experience all those things. Listen, it's all out there, okay? But I think if you were to take an aggregate, like, you know, if you're a kid in the 50s, then you're like, you know, a little older, maybe you got to go to Vietnam, this and that, you know. I don't know. I think I kind of got, I think I got kind of the sweet spot of, uh, you know, uh, the, the being born in 1967. I like it. But uh, hey, it's it's the future now. So we're, we're all old. Old. Well, if you have anything to say about being old, check it out. Listen to the latest episode of Overnight's Cape Central. And towards the end, PQ will give you all the information you need to participate. It's very easy. Record some audio, send it to PQ. I know it sounds easy, but I understand it can be very intimidating if you're not used to it to do something like this. I've been doing this now, this this particular kind of show, a monologue show for like over 20 years. So it's like second nature to me now but I understand if you're just starting on this this is not a very this is not an easy format to, to do the, the, the monologue format I understand that try it out anyways we want to hear from you thank you and now let's all peel oranges in a metaphorical sense and step on through to a magical realm Oh, that plane reminds me. I didn't mention earlier when I was on the porch. Here's the letter carrier. Yeah, it was sunny out, and the shadow of one of those private jet planes went right over my house. Isn't that wild? 
uh, yes, yeah, so like we're on the flight path from a Teterboro. They're like private planes. Um, so yeah, the shadow of a private jet. Where were they going? They may have been going here to the other side.
we did promise you an interesting cast, remember? They're interesting because they're doing something important, something you could be doing in the days ahead, because our government will be encouraging communities to expand solar energy programs. We can join the pioneers who are already learning to use wind or hydroelectric or biomass or the direct rays of the sun as another source of energy. The Secretary of Energy has said that there will be a great adventure for this country as we move into the next century and as we turn increasingly to renewable sources of energy as a replacement for fossil fuels. At the end of that great adventure, solar energy will take its place as a vital and long-term energy source. These small-scale, decentralized technologies have to be combined with energy conservation. If we can be more efficient, we won't have to produce as much energy, thereby helping the environment, reducing our dependence on foreign sources, and making our society far less vulnerable to natural or man-caused disasters. Decentralized energy technology is, by its very nature, community-based. Contact the people in your community who are pioneering this great adventure. For further information about alternative energy technology, contact the United States Department of Energy, Technical Information Center, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, 
vehicle doors close automatically. Please keep your hands and arms inside your vehicle and remain seated while traveling. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the wonderful world of motion.
General Motors now invites you to travel the open road, to discover that when it comes to transportation, it's always fun to be free. Throughout the ages, we have searched for freedom to move from one place to another. In the beginning, of course, there was foot power. But with our first wandering steps, we quickly discover the need to improve our basic transportation. After years of stumbling around, we launch a new idea. Our first safe highway, water. On land, our animal friends give us new freedom. And we test drive many new models. A revolutionary turn of events. The wheel. Now things really get rolling. It's fun to be free. With our newfound freedom, empires expand, cultures flourish, trade and commerce grow. With proud new ships, we sail forth in search of new worlds, undaunted by age-old myths and silly superstitions. The age of the Renaissance. Great minds are turning from works of art to flights of fancy. From hot air to the power of steam, now nothing stands in the way of progress on the open road. Great boilers of steam change our sails to paddle wheels. Beyond the Mississippi, passengers enjoy the scenic west with the freedom and adventure of the open road. Another kind of horse arrives. A steam-powered iron horse bringing fast, dependable, safe travel to the new frontier. Ah, the peaceful countryside. What more romantic way to enjoy it than with that infallible combination of man and machine, the bicycle. The call of the open road brings us a new wonder. A carriage without a horse. Yes, with the horseless carriage, we thunder full speed into the 20th century. Our newest tradition, the Sunday Drive. Now we quickly get away from it all to the beautiful, carefree countryside. The dashing heroes of the wild blue yonder. Now the sky's the limit. Mobility is the byword of modern transportation. A way to move from here to there for every need and every care. Now it's really fun to be free. Yes, our world has indeed become a world of motion. We have engineered marvels that take us swiftly over land and sea, the air, and into space itself. And still bolder and better ideas are yet to come. Ideas that will fulfill our age-old dream to be free. Free in mind, free in spirit, free to follow the distant star of our ancestors to a brighter tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, General Motors now invites you to share the challenge of the future. We need you to help us shape tomorrow's mobility.
Just ahead is General Motors' exciting Trans Center. Join us behind the scenes, where we are working to ensure that tomorrow's world will continue to be a world of motion. Your vehicle doors will slide open automatically. Please gather your belongings and step out to your right. Your vehicle and the moving platform are traveling at equal speed. Your vehicle doors will slide open automatically. Please collect your belongings and step out to your right. The moving platform is traveling at the same speed as your vehicle. is not theirs. You are nothing but a thief. Hear me now. This is why I have let you live. I want you to show me how the tricks of sorcerers are performed. So long as you have some art to show me, you'll stay alive. If you have none, 
Why, then I'll have done with you. Arha, it is true I am what your people call a sorcerer. But here in this place, my strength is very little and my crafts don't avail me. All I can do is work illusions for you. You told me to show you something worth seeing. I show you yourself. Make it, make it go away. Don't worry. It's only illusion. Watch now. See? You're black wool again. You, you, you could trick me into seeing you as... Arha broke off, for the prisoner had raised his hand and with a questioning gaze at her, pointed upward. Her eyes followed his brief gesture to the spy hole from the treasury of the twin god's temple. She understood and said to him loudly, Your magic is trickery and lies. You will be fed to the nameless one. I shall not come again. How much had Kossel seen or heard through the spy hole? Arha wondered. The priestess of the god king could easily have the man killed. Arha hastened to the entrance from the undertomb where Manon waited and led him back towards the painted room. She stopped in the tunnel just outside the room. Manon, I will wait here. You are to go into the room and say to the man that you're taking him to be buried alive beneath the tombs. Say it in a loud, clear voice. Then bring him here to me. When Manon returned with the man, Arha led them off into the dark through many turns, past many openings, a long, slippery, narrow flight of steps down, farther than she'd ever gone, remembering Thar's directions. And then there is a black void, a pit. You must skirt around it, and the ledge is very narrow. They passed it, sliding their feet sideways along a ledge little wider than a hand. Suddenly, Arha ran up against a shut door. The silver key on her belt ring, never used, fit turned in the lock, leaving Manon outside. She led the prisoner into the room and struck her light. There were six great chests, all of stone, all thick with gray dust. Nothing else. You have come to the place you sought. This is the great treasure of the tomb, the only place I know where you can stay alive. Castle will kill you, or make me kill you, Sparrowhawk, but here she cannot reach. I'll bring food and water when I can, but I may not be able to come back for a day or two. I must get Castle off the track. You know that you cannot leave, that you must not try. You must believe me. I will do as you say. Be careful, Tenar. Leading Manon towards the undertomb, the first priestess reborn thought to herself wonderingly. How did he know? How did he know my name? Tenor. Tenor. I have my name back. I am Tenor.
sound of pure energy, reaching us from quasars at the farthest known limits of interstellar space, and from a time near when the universe was born. Energy exists everywhere, from the depths of the universe to the smallest element of matter. Life itself cannot exist without energy. Some forms of energy are so basic that we take them for granted. Eating and breathing, for example, give our bodies energy. But raw energy does not apply itself to mankind's needs. Human intelligence must harness that energy to do our work and create our comforts. How we use energy is a matter of choice. People make those choices, and people have differing opinions about things. Your opinions about energy are important. We'd like to hear your opinions and let you know what other Epcot visitors are thinking. Here's your chance. The Epcot Energy Exchange Survey. There are about eight questions in all, so let's get started. To begin taking the survey, touch the target on the screen. brings us to Love on a Rooftop. It's about a very special city, a very special rooftop, and some very special people. Hey, when are we going to get married? Look, Julie, I love you when I want to marry you, but I'm an apprentice architect and you're an art student. You know the trouble with you? You've no adventure in your soul. Well, then why did you propose? Well, I'm sorry. I... And it won't happen again. to live on love alone. Well? Well, almost. It's very interesting. Oh, it's divine. I knew you'd love it. I know it looks a little bare right now. Just see what we can do. I mean, it's got such atmosphere and charm. Well, it's got atmosphere. Oh, darling, don't you just love it? It has no windows! I want you to meet my mother and my father. You may as well know right now, if I had been here, I would have stopped this marriage. Nice to meet you, too. Where's Dave? Oh, uh, that's okay. I went to medical school for two years. Uh, Carol's on her way down. What do people want most in this world? Privacy? Wasn't it a great idea to eat on the patio? Don't you just love it? It's charming, darling. Isn't it, Fred? Depends on how you feel about soot. 
this is where most stories end. But for us, it's only the beginning. <laughs>